You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast in association with Charles Tirrett, who will be featuring on the show over the course of the Pakistan-England series. They've got some exciting news to share, arguably as exciting as that of Rahan Ahmed being added to the England squad. It's about their new partner. First, they partnered up with Josh Butler and now they've got none other than the number one ranked test batter in the world, Joe Root. I'm sure Joe will look just as slick as Joss in the Charles Tirrett Winter Collection. Speaking of looking slick, as those watching on YouTube will see, Phil and I are wearing Charles Tirrett today, with me in particular looking quite a bit smarter than I normally do. Uh, um, Ben's in one. And Ben's in one as well. Ben's got so the garms. If you're listening to the audio-only version, you'll just have to take our word for it. Charles Tirrett, the menswear retailer, are offering Wisdom listeners a special 20% off using the promo code WISDON22. That's WISDON followed by the number 22 from shirts, polos, chinos to knitwear. It's a one-stop shop to refresh your whole wardrobe. We are a couple of days away from the start of England's first test in Pakistan since 2005. England went full basball in their warm-up game, scoring more than 500 runs in a day, as well as sensationally adding 18-year-old leg-spinning all-rounder Rahan Ahmed to the squad. We'll be previewing the Pakistan series. We'll talk about the prospect of private money in the 100 Australia West Indies, some 2023 World Cup news, a New England squad, more list-day records broken in India and more. I'm Yaz Rana, and to get through all of that with me today is Mark Butcher, Phil Walker and Ben Gardner. Let's start with Rahan Ahmed. If he plays in Pakistan, he'll become the youngest ever England's men's test cricketer. He only turned 18 in August. He's only played three first-class games. Butch, why do you think he's been picked? Um, oh, I would imagine it's fairly, fairly self-evident why he's been picked. He's... Um a real talent's come through. He's been on the radar for a while, I suppose, as, a, as an England under-19. Um, and England are trying their very best, not, not necessarily to bypass county cricket, that's not quite what it means, but to try and identify the type of player that they need 
um, for whatever conditions they might be encountering, particularly on the road, and trying to fast track, track those players that fit that sort of bill um, into being around the, the environment with, with the main squad, um, with, the, with the main, I suppose, the main aim of the, the, the more they are around the very best players that there are, the faster they learn, the, the quicker they assimilate, and the more chance you have of throwing them into the, into the fray um, without them having to go through the sort of like the same apprenticeship, I suppose, as was deemed necessary for, for county players in the past. So, you know, he's a talented boy, that is for sure. And, and, and one thing that England are not afraid of is, uh, is taking a big punt on talent. Mm. I guess that's something that England have been doing since before Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum came in. In the last seven years, England have basically been picking someone who's 22 or younger every year. And it's sometimes worked and sometimes it's not. So that list of players is Sam Curran, Ollie Pope, Crawley, Hamid, Don Best, Ben Duckett, Tom Curran, Mason Crane have all played Test cricket age 22 or under in the last uh, six, seven years. That's, you know, in some cases that has worked, some cases it hasn't. I remember when there was an Arsenal player who played this season who was only 15 and there's a big discussion about was it responsible to put him in that situation? You don't know how he's going to take the extra scrutiny, etc. Obviously, Rahan's three years older than that, but he's played so little professional cricket. Phil, do you reckon there's a there's a possibility that a call up that early is actively detrimental? Uh, no, I wouldn't see it like that. I think it's uh, a, a slightly symbolic move I think at the moment I can't imagine that he's going to play that first test match I can't I'd be surprised if he plays any of the three um but it's another sign isn't it from Stokes and McCullum that uh if you have something to offer them that is slightly outside the norm then there are no barriers to you to you being brought into the fold uh he's obviously as Mark says an interesting cricketer almost unique really in that he bats uh I mean, I think he smashed 28 in about 10 balls, right? In, in that game that we just that you just mentioned. Uh, and is considered to be just as much of a batter as he is uh, a really immensely talented young young leggy who approaches the, the, the crease hard. There's a Yassir Shah element to, to, his, to the way he goes about his work. He's not quite as um, kind of considered, if you like, as say a Parkinson, you know, who has got had a degree of criticism because of the pace that he bowls. He's a bit quicker through the air and he's got maybe a bit more energy in his action than other than other leggies. Uh, but he's still he's still trying to do the most impossible, near impossible job out there to become a red ball leg spinner. Uh, and he's a kid. So um it's my eyebrows were raised just like everyone else's was, but I don't know I don't think it really amounts to anything of any great significance just yet. The one caveat I would say is that all the all the norms, all the customs, all the accepted wisdom that we've been building up over the many years has been sort of routinely chucked out out the window by those by the two two bosses of English Test cricket. So you never know. You do never know. And if you've piled your squad with part time spinners, uh, all rounders basically, uh, then perhaps he does get. You know, a gig in, in the third test match alongside Leach in in the slipstream of Leach. Uh, we'll probably come to what kind of conditions you're going to expect Pakistan in, in a minute, but uh, I think it's it's stirring from a symbolic perspective. But I'd be very surprised if he gets a cap this summer, this winter. I think for, for me, there's a lot to to unpick from it. I think the first thing, as Phil says, that the pace at which he bowls would have been quite attractive to England. He's almost the first English sort of modern leg spinner that you see in quite a lot of white cricket around the world who bowls faster uh, and is trying to outfox batters that way rather than with 
putting absolutely loads of i mean not not to say doesn't put revs on it but to you know throw it up there to get it sort of drifting and turning that's that's not the modern way especially in white ball cricket and uh that's rian ahmed is of, of that more almost rashid khan type note if he's quite as quick as him but that's that's his mold rather than the classical uh leg spinners way uh i think there is it, the, the age thing is interesting because i mean Rob Key was saying when he was called up, he said it was quite an interesting and revealing thing. He, things he was saying. First, he said that this was done. This was always the plan, and this was done to uh, uh, to avoid scrutiny on Rihan Ahmed, which I don't think it has done. I think if he was in that squad originally, he is one of a number of interesting uh, people in there, and you end up probably actually focusing more on say Liam Livingston's in there. A uh, probably focusing more on Will Jacks because he seems more likely to play, and Rihan Ahmed might slip in there. Now he is this week's. Story. I mean that that, that top might, of the show, top of the show. Yeah, exactly. Story. That that might be fine. That might not be. Uh, the other thing is is that Rob Key says that you know he's he's not going to be the finished article for four or five years. I mean he's a, he's a leg spinner and he's eighteen. He could easily not be the finished article for for ten years. And I think that'll be the important thing when looking at uh, how he does develop from here on out. One of the things that Alistair Cook has said before is that you know before you get picked for England, you appear on that BBC sort of like ticker sidebar thing when you make a score. After you get picked for England you appear there when you make a duck. And that is now where that's what Rian Arbad is in when he plays that first, if he doesn't play in Pakistan, when he plays that first county championship game next season, if he has a bad start, he throws a few half trackers down and he's, you know, not for 70 or 30 overs in that first game, that will be focused on more than it would have been if he wasn't in that squad. Now they will know him better than any of us do uh, and whether he can cope with that and that sort of thing. But that is the scrutiny that is now being invited upon him by the choice they've made. The other thing though, is that I do think that there is a route to him playing because there is a role that he fulfills as a cricketer at the moment that actually he can probably do better than anyone else in English cricket, even though he's not the finished article. Where And I, I can see where a scenario where the first two tests are real sort of uh, slugfests, draws, England find they don't quite have that penetration. So they feel they don't need quite as much batting depth, which means that Jackson Livingston, their value is lessened, but they do want someone who they feel can buy a wicket here and there. And that's where Rian Ahmed really comes into it. And if you're looking for a leggy who can bat at number eight, that is a role that he does, which no one else in English cricket does. So there is a route for him into the side. Again, I would be surprised if that happens. He but- was a great googly as well, and Baba can't pick him. So, <laughs> you know, so that, that gives, gives him a bit of a leg up. And there's, one, there's another crucial part to all of this, and that is that, um, that, that English cricket, and, and Rob Key in particular, having been around um, for a long time watching watching English cricket and England cricket is kind of he and the rest of them are all very much the opinion that the cupboard is pretty much bare when it comes to spin. Hence you've got Jacks, hence you've got Livingston, hence now they're um you know they're introducing the, the youngster to it. I, I I wouldn't see I'd have massive amount of trepidation if it was kind of like Rayan Ahmed is the, the is the savior. We're bringing him in. He's going to be he's going to be the next Shane Warne. I don't think they've picked him under those circumstances at all. I, I think he, he's there. They're going to assimilate him. The players will get around him and 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 try to and just try to expedite his learning, make it make it happen faster than perhaps it might have been if he'd been left to his own devices um, in the county game. And I think that's basically where it is. And if he does end up playing under under the sort of circumstances um, as described, um, then then that wouldn't be a terrible thing either. I mean, let's face it; these guys are you know they are the SAS rogue heroes, aren't they? This this England <laughs> lineup, good, and they're going to do and <laughs> they're going to do fun. mad stuff. <laughs> Um, and they don't really care what happens, you know. Even yeah. Baz McCullum today has spoken about the fact that gonna, we're still going to lose. We're still, yeah, we, we don't. If, and if we lose, trying to do it our way, then so be it, you know. And that kind of 
it, it, it's tantalising in terms of the expectations for, for the series, really, because that idea that you really don't... The losses don't matter. It's kind of... It makes you a difficult team to play against, I guess. I, I can, difficult I can see, team to critique, that I is for sure. I can see Stokes as, as Captain Sterling. <laughs> <laughs> I can well see that. I um, think he's a bit more paddy, to be honest. Oh, with yeah, I should <laughs> shout. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Just on Stokes, Captain Leach brilliantly, didn't he, last summer? And... Especially where was it? Was it Headingley? I think where he, he gave him his head on that first day, and he ended up. I think he he, he took ten across the game. game yeah. it was Headingley, and he kept him on early on in the piece, despite it being Headingley and day one and so on. And and he set good feels to him, and he and he he's just injected him Leach with with a degree of confidence that he never really had before, and I think it was shown therefore in in how he bowled, but he was prepared to live a little as a consequence of the way that Stokes was captaining him. So. Even if Rian Ahmed is just simply along for the ride and Stokes and McCullum want to size him up and work with their, their experts in the nets and so on. So we, if nothing else, he just gets the rhythm of test cricket. Then there is value in that in and of itself, I think. Um, and and Stokes, Stokes knows exactly what he's looking for from his cricket teams. And it wouldn't be this current incarnation of them if they didn't have 18 players all of whom are distinct all of whom have something unique and specific to offer this if you like this social experiment of a test match team uh, as much as like mark you're saying that uh they've picked him in a way before he gets and i think vaughan's used the phrase entrenched in county cricket before that you've got to pick players before they get sort of subsumed into that i think there's also an element where they want to pick him uh at least in a test squad before he gets sort of sucked into the into the, the franchise circuit as well i think um like he I think they've said he would have played that Australia ODI series were it not for this test series now. He will likely play uh, white ball cricket for England very soon. Once that happens, and even possibly before then, there are you know there are so many of these competitions and he is such an attractive proposition that he will end up playing. I would be very surprised if he doesn't play some sort of franchise cricket over the winter. And there is the danger of that happening. And then all of a sudden you almost, you lose this guy as a, test prospect like you know when does he next get a good run of first class game so you pick him now make him think like this is something that is really realistic something I should be aiming towards as well and it, I think that's part of it as well I it's, think. it's Yaz's old point about Harry Brook you had to get him in early because, because you lose him to the, the circuit otherwise mm. there's, I there's, there's definitely a part of it that, yeah. um, and just on what his career trajectory could be Adi Rashid went to the West Indies for a test tour in 2009 when he was 20 didn't play and he peaked about 10 years after that so that would be was, a, was two thousand. That was the two thousand. Lost the first one. Jerome yeah. Taylor in the first. Drew the yeah. second by by refusing to declare. I think drew pretty much all the rest by refusing. Drew to the last two games. Yeah. Yeah, last two. It was um, it was a shocker. It was one when I interviewed Ravi Papara for a cover story and lost <laughs> the the tape recorder and I had to make it all up. And S- Sarwan, <laughs> best batter in the world, was that? Uh, Sarwan, yeah. Just... Apparently, according to some magazine or other, that I was not in charge of at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you know, Chris Gofield as well, fast tracked. Mason Crane, albeit, you know, he was one of the last men standing on that tour, but he still got his test cap at Sydney. Yeah, I mean, but, there's, but Parkinson's there's, been sort there's, of sniffing around the there's side. Always, there's always been, there's always there's been a, a, an allure to it. No, right? but there's always been a hint of desperation around mm. around the picking of a, of a leg break bowler. Mm. And, that, and that all began with, with Warney's ball to Gat all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that we had, you know, you needed one, you had to have one. Um, you know, even even somebody who had as, you know, so, so on the other end of the spectrum, you have Ian Salisbury, who who had a terrific, um, you know, the, the the middle to end part of his career here at the Oval, where he was unplayable. You know, he, he outbowled Sackley in second innings of matches 
by by quite some margin here. Masaki used to get him in the first inning, <laughs> um, but then you know, and but then couldn't transfer that into into Test cricket in, in any way, shape, or form. So look, it's it's tantalising. It's something that you shouldn't have an enormous amount of expectations for or from from the lad. There's no there's no pressure on him, I don't think, and and that certainly won't be the way that he'll be treated by that by the team and that squad. Um, and it just it just be fascinating because because if the if the gamble pays off, the punt pays off, and and, and suddenly this guy finds takes to it like a duck to water, and it isn't you know it isn't against the realms of possibility that will happen. It's unlikely, but it's not impossible. Then um, you know you, you've taken you've taken a great gamble and had an incredible return for it. Mm, just on Warren, uh, there was a video that resurfaced this week from I think the agency that's linked with Rahan of Rahan when he was thirteen bowling in a net session uh, during the England West Indies Laws Test in 2017, and Warren, who's on part of the Sky coverage team, was was watching him bowl and he did very complimentary. And went as far as saying, "I think you could be playing first class cricket by the age of 15. Right. Um, in his, in a very worn like delivery, um, and, he, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he wasn't far off. Yeah, all he's got against him is the overwhelming um, streak of history. I mean, no one's ever done it before. <laughs> That's the only thing against him. It's literally the only thing against him that no one's ever done it in the history of English Test cricket, effectively. In the absence of, of any other option, you're not losing anything, are you? For sure. It's not like you. Sure. It's not like like you've left. Different. It's not like you've 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 picked you've picked him and left um, Peak Embury and Edmonds at home. You know, that's not that's not the case. No, no, we're we're not. That's not where we are. So it, it doesn't matter. Um, on that warm up game, by the way, it was supposed to be a three dayer between England and England Lions. But on a very flat wicket with very short boundaries, they decided they'd be better off doing their own thing on the third day. It is just a brilliant scorecard, though. So England batted first on day one, scored at more than six runs and over. Crawley hit 96 off 89. He was run out by Joffre Archer with a direct hit, who also hit him on the head in the first over of the day. So good to see Joffre back. He was clocked at 90 mph as well. Uh, Ollie Pope, who was captaining that England side, hit 146 off 120. Livingston, 36 off 23 and then Jack's 84 off 48 every single Lions bowler went at more than four and over including Rahan Ahmed who went at nine well they avoided the second new ball again didn't they this yeah. team absolutely <laughs> hate facing second new ball I think they did, it, they did it twice all summer and yeah 500 I think in literally 79 over it's almost as if they're, yeah. that's what they're planning and then on day two the Lions scored 415 in a day themselves which is an extraordinary achievement really against the test quality bowling attack Hasib Hamid scored mm. 145 of 172 Tom Haynes 82 of 100 Jack Haynes 36 or 42 then Rahan Ahmed made himself 26 off 10 and then Matt Fisher 40 off 19 um, it looks like all the all the new faces have definitely got the memo um, about how they want to play we talked a lot on last week's pod about how we thought Pakistan would line up so feel free to rewind to that episode to hear more on that but let's let's talk about England now we've got all the info we need I guess to talk about it how do you think they're going to line up in that first test match Phil Right, I asked you before the show, is there anything that you need me to, to research? I didn't know you wanted an 11. You can throw it to me if you like, Phil. Um, I, I, my instinct is that uh, Will Jacks will play um, and Leach and two Seamers and Stokes. That would be my guess. That's, there you go. Yeah. And and we know that Brook is almost certainly going to play in the middle order in in, in the Bearstow slot, and I think the rest has picked itself. Um, Duckett Duck Duck opened for the the proper team, if you like, the senior team in that silly little game uh, the other day. 
I think he's he's in there by a nose. I think he suits the profile of what they're looking for a little bit more than Jennings. So that would be my team, I would guess. The, I guess the, the one thing is, obviously, looking at the squad quite far out, it seemed like that was going to be the makeup because you could almost put the players into pairs. You know, you had the, the two speedsters, you had the two English-style seamers, you had the two uh, spin uh, part-time spinners, whackers at number eight. But I do think that England will actually, like, they haven't fully decided on that themselves. I think, I think they'll wait to see what the pitches are like, although they have been flat in Pakistan for the most part since Test Cricket resumed there. There has been the odd sort of uh, more seam-friendly pitch. And I guess so Mark Wood is injured, so they do have the option of Overton at eight, Robinson nine, Anderson 10. That would be all well, at Leach 10, Anderson 11. That, that, that's, and I don't think that's completely out of the question. No, it's not at all. Um, it's not at all. It, it may well be that they think, you know, Overton is a good workhorse, you know, and get through the overs and hopefully not flag too much and, and, and be round about the kind of mark that they need and that they he might be a little bit more effective in that possibly futile pursuit of 20 wickets on, on a flat one than, than Jax, who is game and very talented, multifunctional cricketer, but still averages the best part of 40 plus with the red ball, albeit that's in England. Uh, so it's every chance that they could go with that. I think Robinson and Anderson probably... The, the, Stick on, Mark. You would think to take the new ball. Yeah, and and because of that, I think because of that, I think they're going to need to play. Um, I, would, I mean, we don't know what, what sort of state Ben Stokes is uh, is in, do we? No. In terms of his bowling, because that because because if you if you're going with a if you're going with your sec if your second spin option is a part time one that you're not expecting to get you you need people who are going to be able to bowl volumes of overs in Pakistan because you have to you have to imagine that you're going to spend upwards of a day and a half in the field every time you're in the field unless you get to the back end of the game right and so to go in with two seamers of the of the type of Anderson and Robinson have Stokes as your third who you don't know how much work he's going to be able to get to because you know what he's like. He'll get us. He, he can do us. He'll give you a spell of twenty, but then that might be it, right? <laughs> he'll give you one spell and he'll just keep going and then until until the the leg goes. So they might find themselves in a, in a situation where where um, folks bats has to bat a seven and they have to play Robinson, uh, not Robinson, um, Overton, and so they end up with four, with four seamers. And a, and a spinner that they know is going to be able to bowl all day. I mean, he bowled what yeah. ninety five overs or mm. whatever in in uh, in the West Indies over the course of that that exactly. riveting Test match in Barbados. And, and I, I think I think you bang on on Leach. And as mentioned, you know, he, he bowled for two and a half days across that Headingley Test match. Stokes backs him, I think, to do that holding holding role. And if a team wants to think, all right, well, we can we can take him down and then expose the bowling bowling attack by removing him, then I think Stokes probably backs him enough to come back and offer something else. You know, not everybody's Rishabh Pant, right? Yeah. So so I think he I think he has confidence in Leach to do that job. And I just, I just think the the issue is is that with the two the two guys who you're gonna want, you know, who who are sort of spearheads there in, in Robinson and Anderson will have large periods of the game where they're not gonna be massively effective. So that that's that's why I want <laughs> same would probably be the case with Overton, right? Because they're well, all very much of a much Well precisely the, the the lack of Mark Wood not being able to play causes you this conundrum. Indeed. Um, and it's whether or not you feel that you're gonna to have to have another another seam bowler as backup or you kinda of, you, you, you close your eyes, hold your nose a bit and go, We hope that our that one of our two um, part time spin bowlers 
one of our three part-times being bowlers, I suppose you could say, um, is, is good enough to be able to, to, to shoulder some of that burden and pick up a wicket or two. So I think the, um, and what I thought when I saw the squad originally, and this is where Mark Wood's injury does complicate it, is I think, and I do think England were thinking they were going to go in with one hold-up and end-style seamer, one sort of guy who can break the game open. But the thing is, is that Robinson and Anderson are both just better bowlers than Overton. So actually, you'd, I would back them more to break a game open, even though uh, Overton might be a couple of miles an hour quicker. And I guess what they have also done is they just look back at that Australia series. And so this is the thing, I think they do probably back Jacks slash Livingston to get through a lot of overs because how they, if the pitches are like those, how they feel the game will go is how, how it went then, which was you might make, you might take a couple with the new ball, then everything goes out of the game and you just like, you just have to basically just get through it. You have to sit in and hold and just like wait until it starts reversing. And then because, so you need spinners who can bowl lots of overs, but actually what they found in that series, Australia, is that um, it didn't really matter how good their spinners were. Like they weren't going to be particularly penetrative. So actually you can pick a guy for his other suit as long as you think he can just bowl them at like a, an only serviceable level. I think one point that's worth making though is that if, if that is to be Will Jax's role, it's kind of a bit of a hiding to nothing for him in terms of how people are going to end up viewing this in in a few months' time. You know, this, this is a guy who who deserves to be considered one of the you know the most exciting, most talented young bats in the country. Is likely to be picked to sort of whack a few at number eight on some very flat pitches, so maybe when England trying to set up a declaration, and then maybe bowl loads of overs without much hope of taking a wicket. He could easily come out of this series having kind of done his job with really unflattering set of figures and that just needs to be taken into account when we look at how Jax is doing and think like he could well end up averaging 50 with the ball and 20 with the bat and kind of having done his job in a weird way yeah I, I mean I suppose the thing it wasn't so long ago that people thought that Joe Root could be your bona fide second spinner and you kind of you're asking him to do the same thing I mean I, I wouldn't like that for the simple reason that might need him to bat for two days. You don't want him bowling 30 overs as well. You, yeah. know, I'll, I'll add, you will need him to bat for two yeah, days. Precisely. Um, precisely. It's, it's, it's a tricky one. It's, it's a tricky one because, because, you don't, because if things are very, very flat, you're kind of thinking to yourself, I, don't, I cannot see, you know, this team is, is all about, we, we, we're going to do everything we possibly can to take 20 wickets. And I think if the pitches are really flat, I don't see them doing that. Um, yeah, without having without having more resources, you know what right. I mean. Right. In, in which case, and it and it might be, it might be that it's it's a moot point. Have you know, f- filling your team with bowlers doesn't always necessarily work. It doesn't give you necessarily that many more options, you know, because three ramrod straight medium paces in Pakistan might be you might be able to you know have half a dozen and you're still going to be struggling, right? However, if that is going to be their approach, and McCullum's already outlined it, not that he needed to. Then is there possibly an argument that Brooks Brook sits on the bench, Stokes bats five, Folks bats six, and then they can play, for example, two of Jacks and Overton at seven and eight. So you still you still got a pretty solid mid to lower order there, uh, and Robinson can hold a bat number nine as well. Leach ten, Anderson eleven. So then you've got. You've got the cover for Stokes' knee. You've got the cover for it being 35 degrees and Anderson being older than you, almost. <laughs> uh, and you do have a bit of variety in there. Now, you know, ideally, of course, you want a bit more solidity in the middle order because if you do get blown away 40 for two or three with the new ball, which is the only real threat out there, then you can be exposed, of course. You, can, you know, there's different ways. But I can imagine that that might be a conversation that they'll be having. Mm. No, definitely. The thing with Jamie Overton, I'm trying to think, 
that was I was actually quite surprised he got picked in the squad because he makes his debut in the summer, scores 97 from the bat, didn't have a great time with the ball, and we, that was it. We didn't see him again. He's picked in this squad ahead of Matt Potts, for example, ahead of Sam Cook. So they've there must be something to do with the pace they think he can bowl and also, involved in that selection. But sorry, and then I'm trying to work out how can you have Overton in that team? I think his batting must be quite a big reason why they've selected him. He, he, he had a really good summer with the bat as well as the ball. Right. So yeah, I can he, see he averaged, him... He averaged 55 of the bat in, yeah. in Red Bull cricket. He also got wickets out there in with the older ball. And obviously we work here at the Oval, right? So we, we, we watched a lot of it and, and he did change games for Surrey. And there was a bit of juice out there. It wasn't a kind of traditional flat one, feather bed at the oval by any means. But still, with the with the old ball, when players were in, he came in, second, third spell, and he did change the direction of the game. Um, he didn't bowl that badly in that test either, I don't think. You know, he got rid of, I think it was Conway, you know, knocked his front pad off and, and did okay without being great by any means. But I, I can understand why they would want him in there as a slight point of difference. You know, go and go and explore the middle of the pitch when nothing's happening for 10 minutes. See what happens. He bounced people out last year. Bowled a couple of very quick spells. So I can, I can get yeah. it. I can see it. I just think he's, he's a bowler whose his pace is quite inconsistent. So he, he's actually, his top speed is, is pretty sharp. It's just he doesn't tend to bowl those spells consistently through a game. So that's why I'm thinking that if he gets in the team, they, they might play him instead of Jacks at number eight. I mean, and also, um, McCullum's been quite clear that they're not going to prejudge the pitches at all. They haven't played a test there for 17 years, so they're going to see what they've got in front of them before coming to any conclusions. Um, question from Billy. He asks, how excited are you for this series overall? I feel thrilled at the thought of Root and Stokes going nuts on a day two flat wicket, but I also worry that it'll be drab and boring overall. What's your alarm call, Mark, for Thursday morning? I reckon I'm going to be in the studio at... Oh, probably three? about. Well, we, I think we go on air at half past four, so yeah, three o'clock. So I'll be I'll be up around about half past two, I should think. You sound excited. I, well, you know, it's been a little while since I've done it. I, I cut my teeth on 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 overnights in the in the Sky Studios all the way back as far as England playing against Pakistan back in ninety nine two thousand. So um, that was. Blimey, you were in there for that. I was in there for that. So this is this you know this is almost like a homecoming to me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> ben, ben, are you a bit more excited than Ben? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm absolutely buzzing for this series. Actually, there we uh, go. Like, uh, and actually, I as long as the games aren't complete total board draws, as long as there's something in it going into those final days, and with this England team, that should be the case. You know, then they're, they're not going to let games drift. If there is any sort of games to be set up, they will try and do it. And in those cases, I actually really like those first three days when you have, you still have narratives from like, you know, any of that England top, you know, whoever the top eight are, any of those makes a score. That's going to be interesting and fun and good to watch. Uh, and the same goes for, for Pakistan, really have, you know, uh, lots of interesting stories throughout their lineup. Um, and then, yeah, there's all the tactical questions as we talked about it, about how teams go about finding 20 wickets. So, you know, th- th- there might be the odd, uh, the odd dull passage of play, but, you know, this is, this is England. It's not going to be dull for too long, I think. Uh, and and also, I'm just so excited for Test cricket to be back after like quite a long time uh, without it. There's a, and there's a real spurt of Test cricket now between what this Wednesday when that Australia series starts, and then something like the eighth of January. There's like I think maybe eight different countries are in Test action. And I'm really looking forward to that that whole thing and getting into the rhythm of that again. And I think the crowds are going to be really good, especially that first Test match. Oh, I think yeah. looking at sellouts as well. Um, I'm, I'm dead excited. Yes. 
That's all. No, I am. I, I'm, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm less so about my alarm call, but I'm looking forward to the games because. But because I don't no, I don't think anyone's ever has, has ever gone out there with the idea of kind of being hyper aggressive playing in Pakistan. You know, the the accepted way to play there is that you kind of everybody sort of sits in and you hope that it all goes crazy on on the last day. You know, that's that's kind of that's kind of how Test matches have been won there traditionally. So the idea that you'd be trying to push back or trying to trying to um, trying to force the issue from early on is, is, is quite a tantalising one because who knows, it might, it might just work. And I think with Pakistan as well, we talked about it last week, but you're looking at two, possibly three, possibly four debutants in the first game as well. So just seeing how those inexperienced guys do, that's Na- going to be really Nazim fun as well. the 19-year-old attack leader. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sensational. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And just finally on this series, Ben Stokes today announced that he'll be donating his match fees to the Pakistan flood appeal after... Devastating floods in Pakistan led to the deaths of over 1,500 people earlier this year. So mm, Good on him. Some more England men's news this week. Luke Wright has been named as a selector, but not the selector. So more James Taylor than Ed Smith. I guess it's not huge news, but something our Wisden India team have commented on this week is that this is the appointment of someone who gets the current landscape of, of cricket, the, the choices facing elite players at the moment and is someone who's played a lot of t20 cricket in india it's it's common for selectors to have no experience of t20 cricket and like right has obviously played loads of games well it's almost mandated because i think this is set against india searching for a selector at the moment and there's there's a job spec that goes up and it says they had to have been retired for uh, from professional cricket for five years and that rules out loads of people who would probably make good selectors i guess they don't want someone who's too close to any current players and stuff but um and also they have sort of uh, you have to have played this many test matches or this many first class games but there's not like if you haven't played that much but you have played a lot of t20s you can't have played low t20s and be eligible for it so uh that that's where that's coming from i think mm. um any any strong opinions on this on the appointment of right no good luck no, to okay. him no <laughs> no but well, only 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 to say that that i think that the key mccullum stokes bobat court axis have got a pretty good idea what it is that they want, and so they've they've now found they've now got themselves, I suppose, a voice from very very close to to the game from a, from a player's point of view. And, and going back to um, what uh, Mr. Buckley was saying earlier on, uh, <laughs> um, young Jeff over there uh, about um, about Rob Key sort of making the point of uh, about sort of the, the way that you have to sort of navigate your way through the idea that some players are going to be more attracted to white ball um white ball tournaments or this type of thing knowing knowing where the opportunities are coming knowing where the potential pitfalls might be knowing perhaps to get in 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 front of uh, you know a front of a player's career before they sort of had their head turned by all of those types of things is something that's useful to have on board so um, i'm guessing that luke wright is going to sort of fulfill that that type of role for them um, but I do get the feeling that, that, that those guys pretty much know what they want regardless of that. And he's a, an, an added extra to, to to something that they feel is working pretty well anyway. Yeah, it's quite deep. In, in the five names you list out there, listeners will know a lot about the first three, but nearly nothing about the other two. And it is quite interesting. Um, obviously, we work in the game, so we're more aware of them. But how much power that Bobat and Court seem to have and the respect they have from Stokes, McCollum and Rob Key in particular... Next up, we'll talk about the prospect of private investment in the 100 and John Lewis's first squad as England coach. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So over the weekend, Sky reported that the ECB has received a £400 million private equity approach that would see it relinquish majority ownership of the 100 whilst raising funds that would end up with the counties. It's a bit light on detail at the moment, so I won't spend ages on it today. But that combination of words there, private investment, equity, the 100, may be quite triggering to quite a few um, <laughs> cricket fans. Should we be excited or should we be scared about this, Birch? Unless you've had your, your, sort of your, your eyes closed for the last two or three years, I think that offer... And that uh, the idea that private equity might come knocking for the hundred is is entirely what was on the table from the very beginning. Although I say on the table, it was under the table. It wasn't, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't explicit um, in the uh, in the sort of uh, the reasoning for for bringing the, the tournament in. But I, I, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest because I think that's been the aim all along. Um, and I guess that at this early juncture, only two years in, that knocking them back or sort of holding off on, on diving in for this uh, for the offer is, is based around, well, we think it could go higher than that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't come as any sort of surprise. Perhaps it's, perhaps the little surprise is that it's come quite so fast. But I think then, then if you look at it from the from the point of view of the people who are trying to stump up the money, and what was it, an 80% share they'd, they'd end up with? I mean, that's vaguely terrifying, isn't it? Um, is that they see it as being good value at the moment? You know, so, you know, for, for them, they, they made the offer because they think, well, we can get it while it's young and, and, and have something that's something that uh, potentially is worth a heck, a heck of a lot more than that in five years time. So watch this space. It will, it will happen again. Mm. And I guess it's another example of seeing that the, the warped power dynamics at play where counties might end up giving up quite a lot of power because they're going to be promised a lot of money. And in the long term, decisions might be made that they don't like and might be to their detriment but they can't really do anything about it because they're so desperate for money. Um, so well, I mean, it's what happened, obviously, when it yeah, was exactly. first pushed through that 1.2 or 1.3 million annual payment. You know, the mother of all bribes, if people choose to look at it from that perspective, that was so persuasive to certain cash-strapped clubs that they felt they couldn't say no. Uh, and, of course, the Constitution requires... Uh, I think 12 from the eight, of the 18 to, to put their thumbs up. Uh, and that money was so immediately required for certain clubs that, that it became irresistible. Uh, and so this is the same principle on, on a more expansive level. As Mark says, it's absolutely inevitable that it was going to happen. Uh, whether it happens with this particular deal or whether this is the first point in negotiation and that another deal is eventually signed, but it will it will happen at some point. And the thing is... Uh, the ECB need the money, right? If you speak to people within it, within the organisation, then they have many grand plans uh, and plans to expand in certain areas that are uh, underfunded as we as we speak. Recreational cricket in particular, youth cricket in particular, women's cricket as well, for all the top-end uh, expansions and the, the, the positive stories that come out, there's still a massive... Uh, dearth of, of cash at the grassroots level so they do have plans uh, but they don't have much money they don't have anywhere near the funds that they used to have 
and so it does feel a bit ugly and vulgar and desperate and those terms can be triggering as you rightly say but this is the this is the the world that cricket is trying to navigate and this is of course the nature of, of, of the beast as well when you set a tournament up like this you're not doing it for a laugh you're doing it to try and try and financially future-proof the game you know and, and develop more people who are watching it however ugly or empty it may be for for you know proper fans in inverted commas nonetheless that's why they did it i agree that the that all the signs point to these be wanting some sort of private investment into uh the hundred in some form but I don't, firstly, I don't know if they would have expected a bid of this magnitude to come in this early. But also, I don't know if they would have wanted to actually give up a controlling stake in the competition or if they would rather go more down, say, like the IPL model, where the, the tournament is still run and kind of owned centrally, but the franchises are owned privately. A lot like with the with, with, with football as well, you know, with, with who runs the game there. And, that, and you could almost get possibly an interesting kind of a reverse situation to before where the ECB were really trying to push this thing through and therefore saying to the counties we'll give you this money to push this thing through whereas now you could almost have the case where because the counties will have a vote on this if there is a serious bid right like uh, that's how that will work and you could have a situation where the ECB are actually not that keen to give up a stake possibly because they think that they'll be able to sell it for for Y further down the line rather than X now or they might hold out for just someone coming in to buy Oval Invincibles rather than coming in to buy the whole thing and that sort of thing. Uh, and yet the counties are so attracted and dependent on the money that is being offered to them immediately that it's almost a, a reverse situation, I guess. Mm. No, I see. And, the, and the other thing is when, when the idea of having an, an English competition like this, the idea was for it to be one of the best in the world and maybe not compete with the IPL straight away, but be number two. Already since the 100 uh, came about, the PSL has gone from strength to strength. You've got this new UAE league that's going to start in January that's offering players way more money than the top players get mm. in the 100. So where's this extra money going to come from to attract those players? Right. And then also you've got the SA20 competition that's also starting this year. And the list of names in that competition is, is, is you know, in, in some ways rivals the IPL. So, What's the Joffre Archer team lineup? So Joffre Archer, Rashid Khan, Sam Curran, Liam Livingston, Jewel Brevis, Kagisa Rabada are on the same team. And Grant Rolison as well, right? Yeah, and Grant yeah. Rolison who played... My boy. Who, who played against Phil in the summer. Yeah, he's still um, shaking from having <laughs> faced me down at number three. Um... <laughs> So the, that, that the, money's the big, got to come the big from somewhere. Bash, the big bash is on the floor as a consequence of you know of cold hard economics, right? And and I guess if you if if you if you build a tournament around the bottom line uh, and it's specific and it's unashamedly dr- dri- driven by money and the making of it and the acquisition of it, then you sort of, you sort of live and die at the altar of that, right? And the big bash, unfortunately for it can't compete with these newfangled tournaments that you mentioned. Now, obviously, the 100 is going to be under exactly the same kind of pressure. We saw it last year and the year before, albeit it was more the COVID umbrella the year before, but we saw it. The number of players who had given a nod that they'd be in it, turning around and saying, you know what, I'm going to have a few weeks off, thanks all the same. And it can be presented as R&R, but in reality, it's that's not that's not worth my while. It needs to be worth the, the while of these world stars or else it will continue to feel... A little bit parochial as it did last summer mm, and i think um one thing that's been reported is that um a big part of why they're interested in is just what they see is potent- the immense potential of the women's tournament that that it's it's been so popular 
uh, attendance is they're breaking all sorts of records and it's only really going one direction. So moving on, England have named their first squad of the John Lewis era as they travel to West Indies for a pair of white ball tours. There are comebacks for Nat Siver, Catherine Brunt and Heather Knight who all missed the series against India for one reason or another at the end of the summer. Nat Siver was taking a mental health break at the time. Brunt was rested and Knight was out injured. There is also a recall for Lauren Winfield-Hill who's had a really, really good year since losing her place in the England setup 12 or so months ago. Tammy Beaumont is in the ODI squad as expected, but not the T20 group, which is a particularly important one to be announced at this point because the World Cup gets underway in February. Youngsters Freya Kemp, Alice Capsey, Izzy Wong and Lauren Bell are all there. Um, That series kicks off in a week or so's time. In Australia, they, as I mentioned already in the show, Australia is set to play West Indies in a two-test tour that starts this week. Um, Tajinarine Chandapal is a near is a near certainty to debut for West Indies. He's the son of Shiv Narine. He scored 100 in the warm-up game against a side that was effectively the Australia A team. Um, most importantly, though, his stance is nearly identical to his dad's, which is great to see. That's marvellous. Um, the legend lives on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he's got uh, his overall first-class record not that good but it's very much split down the middle in the last couple of years. It's amazing. Um, so he's coming into his potential day being really good form. His, his tempo is really similar to his dad as well. He's a real <laughs> sort of a grind out opener. So it could be a, it could be a real fun uh, opening day with Craig Brathwaite and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I don't think, and, and, and Chandapur. I don't think they'll be declaring before the second new ball. Mm. Um, oh, it's going to be fascinating to see him. You're right what you say about Chandapur, obviously. You know, he could bat for days and not do anything, but he also strummed a 69 ball 100 didn't he yeah. i also saw him to get an outrageous 100 live georgetown yeah it was yeah in an odi game and he he swept big steve harmison for six a couple of times unbelievable player really there's a game he won with the last ball six as well on odi i think yeah, yeah no, I think no, a, same a, tour. a brilliant player Chandler, actually one of my one of my early favorites weirdly because you just look at these scorecards and think uh uh how is this guy always just getting some sort of score and not out at the end amid like a crumbling team? Um, but the tickets have gone nowhere. Yeah, yeah that, that's put, putting it politely, really. So various media reports in Australia are saying this could be a record low oh, men's man. test attendance for a game in Western Australia. Uh, one report suggested that they haven't even broached a thousand ticket sales for one of the days in the first test match. Um, which at is Perth. Yeah, at Perth, which is... Obviously, you know, we would talk about how excited we are to seeing Pakistan, England in front of full full houses in Pakistan. Well, this could be played in front of no one just as the ODI series, perhaps even worse than the ODI series we just saw last week. Um, Steve Waugh today said that the Australian public is almost overdosed on cricket. For the, ha- for the fans and spectators, it is hard to make a connection because you're not sure who is playing. But I don't understand that. I mean, when did they last play a test match? Uh, they played away to Sri Lanka in July. Right, we're in November. That, and then before that, away, away to Pakistan. So they've not played at home since the Ashes, yeah. which England were rubbish then, and, and they're and, good and now. Yeah, <laughs> I, just don't, I just don't follow that argument. I guess they've had a, what, a World Cup, two, two White Ball series as well. Uh, and I guess one thing about Australia as well, it's different to England where you can, you can spread the games around a bit more. If you have a more low-key series, like when England play Ireland, they'll go and play at Bristol and sometimes, well, we've criticised the England women's games have been at smaller places, uh, smaller grounds. But, you know, when the World Cup was here, it was, uh, you know, off at, at Taunton and that sort of thing. In Australia, you do just have like several, or not, but not very many population centres. So actually, uh, you'll have more international games per city 
per year, even if it's sort of the same amount as in England. So you have more choice. Like if you're a, if you're someone and you've got X amount of money to spend on sports tickets uh, and you're looking, do I spend it on an England, Australia, ODI? I know no one went to that either, <laughs> but, uh, or, or, or a West Indies or a West Indies test match. You see, you see what I mean? Like, uh, I, I do, I do. I'm, I'm not saying that it's not profoundly concerning for the game, but I think that's a simplistic explanation yeah. for why. Yeah. Definitely. I think there are other factors that are more significant that are at play there. Yeah, it would just be great for West Indies to put up some sort of fight in that first test match to because I think people, Australia fans will be looking at thing, thinking like that's a foregone conclusion considering how uncompetitive West Indies have been there uh, in recent test tours. Uh, and yet, you know, they, they as, as England well know, they do have players that can uh, that can trouble uh, the best teams. And then once, if if you know, if it's you know the first two days, there's like a Australia, you know, shot out for something competitive or West Indies, one of them makes 100 and they make a decent total. And then all of a sudden you have interest in the series and then the next game, maybe you see the ticket sales start going up. I'd really love to see that because at the moment, if if it starts badly for West Indies and then the sales where they are, then it could be a real uh, real series to forget, I mm. guess. It's just two tests. It's just two tests, yeah. And then South Africa for three. Yeah, yeah. Um, one performance from that warm-up game. So... West Indies were basically playing the Prime Minister's eleven, which was effectively an Australia A team. There's a 22-year-old offie called Todd Murphy who caught the eye. He took three for 27 from 22 overs, and one wicket in particular where he beat Josh De Silva through the gate has done the rounds on social media, partly because of how similar the second half of his action is to Graham Swan. So, um, Wisden did a tweet um, basically asking people, does, it, "Does his action remind you of anyone?" And Swan replied himself. Um, and it is, um, it is it is a pretty good chance. He's only played five or six first class games, but there's a decent chance he gets picked for their tour of India in the new year. So Murphy was picked ahead of Mitchell Swepson, who played four Test matches for Australia early this year. And it's not that clear who the second and third spinners will be. So Ashton Agar also played that game, but Murphy comfortably outbowled him. And then Adam Zampa is about to play his first first class game in about four years this really? week. So it could be an outside bet. He's obviously had a really good couple of years in in limited overs cricket for Australia. Next up, Afghanistan, Ben, have effectively qualified for the 2023 World Cup. Um, do you want to explain how they've done that and what this means for the rest? Yeah, well, they've done it by winning lots of games of ODI cricket, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and that's given them enough points in the World Cup Super League. The reason why I say effectively, so they now have 115 points, I think. Uh, none of the teams below them can reach that mark, but there is a chance that... Uh, Afghanistan lose all their remaining games and get lots of uh, bowling uh, or overrate penalty points, which would uh, uh, see them slip back down. But no, they, they are basically through. So that that will mean that uh, two, at least two of West Indies, Sri Lanka and South Africa uh, go into the qualifier next year and quite possibly all three because Ireland have three more games against Bangladesh. And if they win those, they'll be ahead of West Indies and it will leave South Africa and Sri Lanka both with very little margin for error. And they've got some tough series coming up. So South Africa would need to beat England pretty much, I think. Um, and uh, Sri Lanka would need to go to New Zealand and and win that series, uh, as well as winning the last ODI against uh, Afghanistan. And, you know, it's fully deserved for Afghanistan. They have had an easier fixture list when you look at who they've played. But they were brilliant to win that first ODI of the series. They've uh, won 11 out of their 13 played games yeah yeah um and uh and one what one player that i really like is uh fazil hakfaruki who took four wickets in that first odi and uh he's just he just looks like a kind of a, a reasonably complete white ball bowler he was with the new ball he bowled a sort of a, a nice little wobble seam which cut back in to take off the top of chan off stump and then basically sealed the game with a 
a Yorker to, to Lakshan, I think, just when him and Hasaranga were looking like putting together um, a reviving partnership. Uh, and that's kind of, that. I guess that's the thing that Afghanistan have missed at times. You know, they've got Majid, this brilliant opening spin bowler. Obviously, they, they do this thing with Rashid Khan where they hold him back for as long as possible. So the opposition I love have this. to... Yeah. I, I think that's what partly won the game of the day. So they were chasing 280 odd, I think. And Afghanistan just held Rashid Khan back for so long. So Sri Lanka took so many risks against bowlers 5-6, which is Afghanistan's problem. And when Rashid Khan comes on, the game's pretty much done. Mm, clever. And then, and then he cleans it up, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, and and and, and actually, so because Bangladesh have always had a really good Cricket World Cup Super League campaign, I guess they're one of the other teams that you might not have expected before it to qualify. I, I would actually put Afghanistan possibly ahead of, of Bangladesh in the, in the dark horses stakes for that World Cup in terms of on their day, maybe troubling some of the best teams. But yeah, it should, it should be a really good tournament. And also that qualifier will also be really exciting as it was last time. We're waiting for a standout Afghan batsman, aren't we? Yeah, but I think we've got a better idea of who it could be. So the two openers... So, so Zadran's a kid, isn't he? Like 20 yeah, so he's, he's 20 and uh, Ramanul is also 20. Right. And I think they've got four ODI tons between them and they complement each other quite well. Ramanul is in the Phil Salt mode of really going from it for ball one. Zadran's a bit more of a classical player. Yeah. Zadran, um, I think he scored 75 in a test match when he was 18. Yeah. Um, so together... And, and he, is, he peeled off 100, right? I haven't seen too much of him, but we're just waiting for that because... You can reel off half a dozen bowlers, yeah. uh, and obviously Mo Nabi as well did a bit of both. But an out-and-out batter. I know, it's like you know, the, the openers as I has you know made a career for himself in short-form cricket, but a, an all-round complete white ball cricketer, batter. We're, it's only a matter of minutes. It may well be that it's one of those two. It may well be that it's both. But we're waiting for that moment. I think. Elsewhere, New Zealand beat India in the opening ODI of their series this week with Tom Latham hitting um, 145 of 104 from number five to help New Zealand chase down 307 with three overs left spare. Can I talk about the one shot I was talking about earlier? Very okay, quickly. go for it. Yeah, so, so he, he, he <laughs> played... His body physically sagged there. <laughs> uh, he, he just played this uh, this reverse sweep with the deliberately with the back of the bat. Um, and it was right. Oh, so obviously, so obviously, we talked about deploy playing the scoop with the back of the back. But this was the reverse sweep, and so I guess the advantage is if it's really straight, you can just play the conventional sweep and paddle that fine. And then this was down uh, quite far down the offside, so he was able to play it that way. So it was a, a yeah, a really smart shot, and uh, he's a, he's obviously a, a canny batter, and is actually developing a really really good record in the middle order, which I don't think people would have expected when you see him open in Test. You don't wouldn't might not think he has that kind of dynamism he was doing it all he was uh you know he was running hard he was hitting sixes and boundaries and uh yeah really good he innings. basically scored 100 off his last 50 balls as mm. well um and then in australia adelaide strikers won the wbbl for the first time beating the sydney sixers the competition's dominant side in the final deandra dotin scored a 50 from number four and then took two new ball wickets for the strike as well Darcy Brown took two for 15 off her four overs at one point the sixers were 16 for four in the run chase um and then Two final things. Ben, in India, Rutaraj Gaikwad had a record-breaking day. Uh, yeah, he uh, he hit 40. Well, he hit 42 off an over and there were 43 runs scored off the over, which is a uh, a joint list day record for, for runs conceded. So that was six sixes and a six off a no ball as well, uh, which is which remarkable. He went on, he made a double hundred and actually, and obviously there's a temptation to look at this and think, you know, this is a 
bit of a, a tin pot game against a weak team. This is in the quarter final of, of of India's premier fifty over competition, so it's a real. It's, this is a high level, and he made two hundred and twenty nine, I think, out of a total of three hundred and thirty. So that was a really Massive. proper innings. No, no one, no one else made a fifty. Uh, he he has now knocked off Sam Hain, uh, and ha- now has the highest list day <laughs> list day average of all time. Wow. Um. So yeah, calls for him to get a. He's played. He's the one who opens for Chennai, right? Yeah, but yeah. I, but list the thing is, is I think fifty over cricket is much more his game. He's uh he's struggles to be aggressive straight away, but knows how to to build an innings and then to expand later on. So there are calls for him to sort of get a good run in the ODI side. Uh, whereas I think he's played maybe seventy twenties and only one ODI so far. So yeah, and then uh, finally a bit of a Warwickshire link from Sam Hain uh, to Hassan Ali, who is signed for Warwickshire uh, for championship and the blast up until the end of July in 2023 so good that's another that. very good signing who have all, for Warwickshire who've also signed Chris Rushworth Ed Bernard and Moeen Ali um, ahead of next season they seem intent on making sure they're not involved in another relegation scrap uh, yes where's mm. my Abu Dhabi T10 update well mm? I mean, <laughs> cricket, cricket has been played in Abu Dhabi and Nicholas Puran's hitting them well but other than that I can't tell you an awful lot I, 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 mean, watched, you, I watched 10 minutes of it yeah. On a hangover on Sunday morning. It was my mum's birthday the night before. We'd had a few people over. It was a lovely evening. Watched it the following morning. Ten minutes. Miserable beyond words. Almost profoundly sad, actually. And Gra- Graham Swan was interview- was it- was commentating with Brendan McCullum. Nobody there at all in the ground. Nobody there. And Swanee said something that in a- unwittingly captured the emptiness of the whole I- experience. One over in. The Warriors were playing another team. Don't know. Can't remember. Anyway, the Warriors... Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, he said, quote, I wrote it down after one over. The Warriors look tired, said Swanee. <laughs> they need to up the energy levels. Make a buzz, make some noise, jump up and down, do the splits, whatever. It's just a perfect summary of just how peculiar and grim and, and sad and empty the whole experience was. I don't know who it's for. Well, they've, they've even add, they've added two they've more teams this year. One of whom are called like the New York Strikers There's or something. There's a New York side, yeah. 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 So yeah. Obviously, it's big, it's big in the US, I guess. Well, yeah. okay. why do you think... Jump up it, and down, do the splits, whatever. Why did you find it more soulless? Why did you find it more soulless than normal T20 cricket? Well, because there's only half of it to begin with. True. Uh, and because nobody, there's nobody lit- there. because there's literally nobody there, I can understand any any form any sort of tin pot tournament if it's trying to engender some sort of local interest for sure. Totally, I don't mind play a five over game in in Chicago by all means, but if there's literally nobody there, literally, who's it for? It's certainly not for us either. So I, d- I just don't know who it, who it's for. Yeah, and I guess one thing related to that is um, there was a lot of lot of complaints from within the England squad about their series in in Australia and how there's too much cricket. Um, James Vince, the day after playing an ODI in Australia, the day after the almost the other side of the world was keeping wicket for Team Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Uh, against the Deccan Gladiators in short sleeves, in short yeah. sleeves. Um, but, but also on a slightly more serious point, so was so was Mo, right? Yeah, you know, and Mo yeah. had said it was horrible. Oh, right. Quote yeah. that three-match ODI series, and two days later, he's he's playing out in Abs Dab. So, yeah, that I don't know. It rather undermines the integrity of his original point. Mm, absolutely, um, Vince is going well though. He's hit. He's <laughs> he's hit eighty-one off. 51 across his two games. That's my boy. Get um, him in. Get yeah. him in somewhere. Get, get and, him in. And actually, him keep, him keeping in sort of seeds, obviously normally... 
no, no, normally it'd be sort of like uh it'd be cancelable territory wouldn't it for uh for doing that but i think it really fits this tournament doesn't it like uh if you're going to go over there you can at least sort of not do it properly and vince is doing that and still seeing them quite well so yeah well, on that bombshell thanks for listening folks <laughs> cheers phil cheers mark cheers ben this has been the wisdom cricket weekly podcast we'll be back next week at the end of the first in pakistan as well Podcast Network.